electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Power Lunch, uh, everybody. Alongside Kelly Evans, actually across the room from Kelly Evans, I'm Tyler Matheson. Everybody is talking about AI, its impact on society and the markets. Seven stocks driving the games, most of them knee-deep in the AI boom. Plus, retail results coming in. We've heard from Walmart, from Target. Which is the better buy right now? Sounds like the recipe, Kelly, for a bull fight. Indeed, indeed. Just wait, everybody. Quick check on the markets. Tyler, thank you. Mixed picture, Dow's near session lows down 187 right now, while the S&P hanging on to a two-point gain, 41.61. The Nasdaq up about eh, 0.6%. By the way, the Nasdaq, highest level since August. Uh, Absolutely worth bearing in mind that these gains have taken us to some potentially significant levels. And AI optimism is a big reason for that. A lot of AI and tech news to talk about today. Steve, Kovac in the house, Julia Borston as well. Perfect. I mean, from now on, it's always going to be a perfect week, Julia, but seriously, <laughs> so much to get to. Uh, let's start with Deirdre Bosa, though, to break down just the latest news that we're getting, Deirdre. Yeah, so it doesn't stop, Kelly. Just an hour ago, OpenAI said that it's introducing its ChatGPT app to iOS and iPhones, and that'll open the door to more users, more headlines, as we're getting used to. Also today, there's Snowflake and a potential AI-adjacent acquisition. There's Dynatrace, a price target increase that points to it as a clear leader in the broader AI market segment. Uh, what else do we have? What about the entire S&P gains this year that has been driven by eight stocks, the beneficiaries of what else? Artificial intelligence. But guys, dare I say it, is there too much AI news? Rather than go through all of these individual items, let's talk about AI washing. That is a phrase that I'm hearing more often in tech circles and that investors should be aware of as we get all of these headlines. I spoke to Ramp CEO Eric Lyman yesterday about this idea. His fintech startup, Ramp, was last valued at $8 billion, and it's backed by the likes of Satya Nadella, OpenAI board member Adam D'Angelo, and Stanford professor Chris Ree, all of whom are deeply involved in building AI-based products. Here is what Glyman said about AR washing. I think there's a lot of companies out there slapping a chatbot uh, on their site and saying, hey, look, um, uh, we're using AI and solving customer problems. Um, and I think it, 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 it's sad because it misses the potential um, to really use this new software to deeply embed it um, in, your, uh, in your product. Now, TBD, if Ramp can successfully take part and capitalize on this AI boom, but his point is a good one for investors to keep in mind as the headlines continue to roll in. For now, the consensus seems to be that big tech will be a beneficiary. We've talked about this um, before, big tech versus the incumbents. And Amazon, speaking of, your next guest I know calls it a strong AI opportunity because of its, quote, data exhaust. And that's in a lot of cases what it comes down to, how much data they have to crunch for these models. AI washing data exhaust. Boy, we've got we got all kinds of new phrases here. Deirdre, thanks very much. And for more on that Amazon call and AI, we have Brett Phil, analyst at Jefferies, as well as Steve and Julia. Brent, let me begin with you. Where is, I mean, we hear a lot about ChatGPT, OpenAI, Microsoft, Google. Where's Amazon in this race? Hey, Tyler, Amazon's in a fantastic position. If you look at the enterprise, they are the cloud leader. They own a $85 billion run rate with AWS. 
with the majority line share of the cloud market, Microsoft being number two, Google being number three. So when you have that data, you have an advantage. Today, they have over 20 different AI services. They were the last ones to join the PR party, but we think that ultimately behind the scenes, they have an incredible technology advantage because they have the data and they have the users on the enterprise side. And then if you look at the consumer, they have all the data, what we've ordered, what we've not ordered, what's our delivery preferences for advertisers. Advertisers now have access to this information and the advertising platform is far superior than Walmart or Target. You, you start to layer in things like Prime Video. There's an incredible opportunity. We were having, an, we had an Amazon day this week with our clients and seven experts. And one expert said, even their investment in autonomous, the acquisition of Zooks, imagine a car that picks you up, you forgot to, to get some, uh, whatever the item is, Amazon can load it in the car, you get in the car, you, you can have CNBC in the backseat of the car, and it, it understands you watch CNBC, you don't watch ESPN during the day. Well, And so this whole concept of tying all these signals together and all the products they're providing, it's not here yet, but you can you can point to the future of what this is going to look like. And it's it's an incredible opportunity for the company. Steve, I'm, I'm struck by your comment in the past that Amazon's trying to be a little bit like Switzerland to sort of yes. say, you know, we, we, we don't want to to have to choose sides too quickly and alienate potential customers right. as the customers themselves try to figure out who their friend and, and partner or not is. Yeah, and that's that's particularly on the cloud side, though. So they're taking a different approach than what we've seen from Microsoft and Google saying, if you want to develop these AI tools, come to us. We have the cloud. We're the biggest cloud provider. I will point out, though, there is a risk here because it, so much of it does hinge on AWS. By the way, the FTC is about to sue <laughs> Amazon on antitrust grounds, and AWS is going to be one of the targets. What's Stuff the like issue? what we're is talking about that. The fact that they're in so many different lines of business. Exactly, or? and that they own the pipes and the, the marketplaces, and all that together makes them an antitrust target for sure. So this could be a risk to them if. if with all this AI stuff, for sure. But just think about all the ways they do have pipes into us. I mean, he mentioned advertising. And look at advertising as this huge growth opportunity for Amazon. They've been growing so much faster than some of the other players. And they could really use AI to better target ads and even come up with ads. And this is something we're hearing some of the other ad players talk about Facebook. as well. But uh, Facebook talks about that a lot. But also, think about Alexa. Right now, my kids ask Alexa, tell me a joke. The jokes are not that great. But in the future, they'll be able to say, Alexa, tell me a knock-knock joke about this or that. And it might be really funny because I think that you're going to have this pipeline into people's homes. And all of those Alexa devices ultimately will be an interface for people to interact with, I, with I AI. I couldn't agree with you more, Julia. And Brent, I want to get your thought on this. If I think, and, and here's, this is opinion, not, not really fact. I think of the two um, software services that are indispensable to me. One is Google, but I'm telling you, Amazon probably is even more indispensable to me because of Amazon Prime and everything I can do and hook to it, including going to uh, Whole Foods, including buying whatever I want, whenever I want, including watching TV, including listening to all kinds of radio stations on my Amazon Echo. And I think that those interactions will become a lot more natural using those natural language, large language models. And so you're going to be able to have a conversation with your Alexa about what it is you want to buy, what you want to do without ever having to look at a screen. And Amazon's been talking about this for ages since Alexa first came on the scene. Yeah. That's the ultimate vision. They want that Star Trek computer that can do everything for you. They haven't really made much progress there. Maybe now they'll supercharge Brent, it. Brent, give us a last word and a last thought on the stock price and where it can go from here. 
we still think the stock's trending to 135 plus. It's had a huge move. It's outperformed every every other uh, name and large cap that we cover this year quietly, even while Microsoft's had the attention. But they're getting their costs under control in the supply chain. AWS will rebound in the back half of the year into 24. We think margins continue to, to move slightly higher. Again, they're getting a lot of these issues under control uh, that they've been headwinds. And so we think we're at a, a point, hopefully we can stop cutting numbers, numbers have stabilized and hopefully numbers can start to go up, especially on the bottom mm -hmm. line. All right, Brent, thank you very much. Brent Phil, we appreciate your time with Jeffries. You know, I'm struck by all the antitrust moves that are coming, uh, even as technology shifting so quickly. And actually, on that note, another key tech story. So what's taking place out in Montana, uh, the governor signing the first outright ban of TikTok in the U.S. The new law paves the way for a legal fight that could determine the fate of a nationwide ban that's reportedly under consideration in Washington. You know, kind of a sign of the times. Um, Steve, let's start with the implementation here. I guess if you live in Montana, you wouldn't be able to download this from the App Store? Uh, this, this one kind of broke my brain, Kelly, because it just completely misunderstands how the App Stores work. So this law would fine basically Apple and Google because they own the App Stores 10 grand a day for every day they keep the TikTok app available in the App Store in Montana. The problem is that's not how the App Store works. Right. They cannot ban on a state-by-state -state level. They can do country-by-country, country, of course. You go to the App Store in China, you're not going to be able to get Facebook, for example, right? Is that because we don't have state-by-state -state IP addresses? It's, it's, the, the App Stores are, are nationwide. Exactly. Banks. It's a nation. It's country-by-country, country, not state-by-state. State. So what the better solution would have been if they really wanted to do this and really make a point, they would do what the gambling apps do, have a geofence thing. So mm. as soon as you cross the Montana border, boom, TikTok goes and, dark. And they can ask TikTok to do that. But what's so interesting, and Steve and I were talking about this before, is that it's so hard to regulate these things on a state-by-state -state basis. And it doesn't seem like anyone thinks this is actually going to happen because it doesn't go into effect until January. And before hmm. then, it's certainly going to be challenged in the, the courts. Yeah, and right? ACLU yeah. is ready to yeah, sue the pants is, off of Yeah, this Montana is going to be challenged in the courts. And, the ch and there's a lot that's going to have to happen legally between now and January 1st. Logistically, so if you already had the app and you tried to open it in Montana, what would happen? And I ask also because look at what's happening in Utah where they're trying to, I think the word is ban kids from using social media from a certain hour at night and beyond. So we're seeing a ton of these moves to rein in tech one way or the other, maybe because it's TikTok and where it's from. Maybe it's just the use of tech generally with kids. What is the technology by which we're, they're going to be able to do this or not? In, in what sense? Like figure out well, where you are, how I mean, old you are. Like geofencing. Geofencing yeah. seems to be the answer, it's but the that's not the answer they're choosing. And that just shows the misunderstanding that they have of how these apps work. Maybe they don't want, I mean, I, my cynical theory here is they don't want to say we took TikTok away from you. They're still saying in Montana, you can use TikTok. You just knew people can't download it. <laughs> and that's just not going to so work. What's the point then? If you can still use Very it. Very good there. question. Growth, 150 million people are already using TikTok. A million in the US. People. There are, it's 150 right. million users in the United States. And like five people said. live in Montana. And, and, so, and, and yeah. There are a million people in all of Montana. Right. A lot of Easterners are moving there. Okay, yes. I gotcha. All right. It's a it's nice beautiful. place. It, big sky is a gorgeous place. But but uh, it's not gonna dent no. uh, TikTok at all. This is a this is a theoretical battle here. It's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be fought over in the courts, and I think this is really important and interesting because it could help determine what ends up happening on a federal level. Mm -hmm. Will we have mm -hmm. a national nationwide ban on TikTok? Will TikTok be prohibited from operating here in the U.S.? And this is a great test of that. I almost wonder if it, the difficulty in implementing it becomes part of the the concern about them, right? If the idea is 
well, you can't regulate them. We literally don't have the well, tools to do so. Make people you, go. You can ban maybe TikTok we need to from be able to. You can't prevent the app stores from selling it right. simply or, or allowing people to download it simply in a certain state. I think what Steve is saying is that you really have to focus this regulation on what the app itself is doing rather than on the app stores, which are kind of these open could platforms. Apple, does Apple need to play a role here? I mean, Apple knows where you are well, and could be a it, gatekeeper. It could be, but and, and the app store does have location features, but that's just not how it's designed right now. And again, I just go back to the gambling apps. If they really wanted to do this, that is the perfect example. Online gambling is banned in certain states. You can still download FanDuel and so forth, but they won't work when you're in that state. That's how they should have done it if they were really serious. All right, let's move on. We're going to end with Disney here. Shares are popping on reports that ESPN plans to stream its main ESPN channels programming, uh, something that is not currently available on ESPN+. Plus. Julia, you understand all things Disney probably better than anybody. What are they proposing to do here, and, and would, it be, would it mean that if I am a cable subscriber, that I would not receive ESPN, or would I Don't still worry, get Don't worry, I know you're not cutting the cord, Tyler. No, I know you're going to remain Comcast. a cable subscriber. <laughs> but you um, will be able to keep watching Disney. Now, this is something that Bob Iger has been talking about for a while, as has Jimmy Pitaro, who runs ESPN for Disney. Now, what they're saying is that they understand that it is an inevitability that they will be offering ESPN content direct to consumer. And that's because there are so many cord cutters and so many cord nevers, people who have never paid for a TV bundle. So what they're trying to figure out is the right moment to take that content direct to consumer. And they also have to make deals with the cable companies, the distributors. So Disney is talking to Comcast and, and Charter and all these other cable distributors to make sure that they have the rights to take that how content do, that was previously um, via a TV bundle and take it direct to consumer. How do the numbers work? Because as I understand it, as part of my cable bill, I am paying $8 and some 15 cents. cents yeah. $8.15 a month to receive uh, my ESPN. Worth every whether, you watch to it, me. whether you watch worth, it or not. Worth it to me. Yeah. may not be worth it to somebody else who doesn't give a hoot about sports. Almost said something else. <laughs> uh, but, but so how do the numbers then work for all of the people who then drop the cable? How do they make up for the, for the $8.15? Well, so right now you can subscribe to ESPN Plus and it has additional content. But, but it does not, not the have, live sports. It does not have the same live sports. It may have different sports rights. So what, what Disney has to figure out right now is at one point it's financially advantageous to take that content additionally direct to consumer. Disney may earn less money from the cable providers if they're effectively making that bundle less effective. One thing right, that we talk right, about in the, right. in the media business is that sports are the glue that holds the cable bundle together. People like you are always going to pay for the cable bundle because they need their live sports. But the more we see sports move on to other platforms like Google or Amazon are getting these NFL games or MLB games, once sports is not just unique to the pay TV bundle, then maybe it's worth it for Disney to say, hey, maybe we'll make less money from the TV pay TV bundle if we can get other people yeah. who aren't currently even paying for cable TV to pay directly for ESPN+. Plus. Do, do we know, I mean, if anything, this is happening a little sooner than expected because we thought maybe we're still a few months ahead. Do we well, know they made the, it sound like it's a few years away. We don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. It, this is a Price long tag. process. They have, $40 a month? I, mean, I, I don't think it'll be that much. Something to that, you know. We, <laughs> Tyler, yeah. Tyler almost <laughs> fell in his chair. <laughs> I like ESPN. I like it $40 a month, yeah. but so I'm a sucker for So that's the thing is that a lot of people pay for ESPN now who don't watch it because not everyone is an avid sports viewer like Tyler. So what they have to figure out is how many people will subscribe 
subscribe direct to consumer and what is the right price point. This is a, a big process. And the fact that there was this new headline out from the Wall Street Journal just indicates that it's continuing to accelerate in terms of when they're trying to figure out the timeline. But Bob Iger has been very clear. He knows this is going to happen. It's just a question of when, what the price point is, and how they're going to work things out with their pay TV partners that are, are selling the cable bundle. And the news on Disney keeps coming uh, at this very moment, in fact. What, what, Julia, is happening now? Well, Disney is announcing today that it is canceling its plans to build a new campus in Central Florida, and it is no longer asking the 2,000 employees in its Parks, Experiences, and Products Division, employees that it had previously asked to relocate to Florida, it is no longer asking them to do so. Disney Parks Chief Josh DeMauro saying that this was due to, quote, new leadership and changing business conditions and that he, quote, remains optimistic about the direction of the Disney World business and its plans to invest $17 billion and create 13,000 jobs in Florida over the next 10 years. DeMauro saying in his note to employees, quote, I hope we are able to do so. Of course, this all comes amid Disney's battle with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And on Disney's earnings call just last week, Bob Iger reiterated his frustration, calling the state anti-business. So is there any way to read this other than a slap back at Florida? Oh, 100%. Come on. <laughs> I mean, look, the, Disney the was going to... The, the issue is, yes, this is a slap back at yeah. Florida. But also, Bob Iger said it very clearly on the call last week. He said, why are we investing so much if this is not going to be a state that's going to... Yeah, and so they had, a couple years ago, announced they were moving 2,000 employees from Southern California to Florida, they're gonna build this whole new campus for them. So this is an investment on many levels. They're building physical infrastructure. They're asking people to uproot their lives. And now they're saying, why are we doing this? This is not a state we wanna get e even more into business with than the, they already are. And they even said in this note to employees uh, that was just released that they, if the people had already moved to Florida in anticipation of this happening, they would talk to them about helping them relocate. This is escalation. Yeah. And DeSantis is going to announce next week he's running. Yeah. And this is his key issue. He's known as the anti-Dizzy candidate for some reason. Yeah. Guys, thank you. We really appreciate it today. Julia Borston, Steve Kovac. All right. Coming up, a tale of two retailers, Walmart and Target, both reporting results. Target painting a grim picture of the economy, flashing recession signs, raising an alarm on theft. Meanwhile, Walmart raising full-year guidance, groceries offsetting the clothing slowdown that also hit Target. So which name is the better bet? We will have a bullfight next. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Power Lunch. Target and Walmart both reporting earnings this week. The big name box stores each posting a beat on the top and bottom lines, but still saw consumers skipping over those non-essentials. 
<clears throat> excuse me, shares of both Target and Walmart are down about 2% so far this week. Walmart beating Target year to date. So which one here is the better buy? With the bull case for Target, Rupesh Parikh joins us. He's managing director and senior analyst at Oppenheimer. With the bull case for Walmart is Michael Baker, DA Davidson's managing director and senior research analyst. Welcome to both of you. Uh, Rupesh, Target discretionary if things tighten from here. Are you sure this is a place you want to be? Yeah, so we do have outperforms of both Walmart and Target. We think over a 12 to 18 month horizon, Target has more upside potential. So I think right now, Target, just given its larger discretionary mix, is just more exposed to consumers pulling back in discretionary. But as we look at the Target story, you know, if you look from last year and then you know going forward, we think there's a much bigger earnings recovery story here. So last year, Target earned around six dollars. We see they're earning ten dollars next year. So, you know, that's that's our enthusiasm around Target is you have a big earnings recovery story and then discretionary at some point will pick up and Target over the last couple of years has gained significant share in discretionary categories. So I think you, you could supercharge that recovery next year if discretionary does pick up again. Michael, kind of a similar question to you. When does Walmart typically do better during times during heady times or during belt tightening times? Well, we're seeing it right now. Uh, I think the answer is certainly during belt tightening times. I mean, the 7% comp they put out this morning is going to be better than most retailers. It's certainly better than overall retail sales. And that's because uh, their mix is well suited to, to what consumers are shopping for now, which is needs, not wants. And they're seeing a trade down from higher end consumers trading into the Walmart ecosystem. So this is the time for Walmart really to shine. And, and we've sort of been you know, seeing that over the last few months and sales have uh, weakened throughout the uh, economy. They've got uh, growth, Michael. How much of that growth is coming from groceries and how much of that grocery growth is coming from simple inflation? Well, the answer to, the first, well, the answer to both questions really in some ways is all. Uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. the general merchandise sales were negative. Their growth is coming from groceries and, and wealth and uh, health and wellness. So, so not all, uh, but, but certainly those needs rather than wants. And their unit uh, growth has been flat to maybe up slightly. Um, most of the growth is coming from pricing. Uh, it, it, as strong as the growth has been, and it was up 7% this quarter, it did decelerate a little bit from eight and change last quarter on a U.S. comp basis. And, and that deceleration is largely because inflation is still high, but starting to moderate a little bit. Rupesh, talk to me about tar Target sells groceries, but th are they competitive with Walmart in that area or do they don't have the, the scale, the, the, the size, the selection? What is it? Yeah, so Target does sell groceries, much smaller part of the, their business, about 20% of sales. So Target's just one, so grocery is just one part of Target's entire offering. So it is a focus, but consumers do not go to Target just to buy groceries. Mm -hmm. They go for, to buy in multiple categories, whether it's home, consumer electronics, sporting goods, et cetera. So I think that's what's unique about Target versus Walmart is they have multiple ways to drive people into stores. And yes, you know, I would acknowledge right now, given grocery and consumers are focusing on essentials, Walmart is better positioned near terms to get that traffic. But over time, you know, when consumers go back to these other categories, I think that's when you start to see the traffic inflect higher again for Target. Just just a quick final answer here to get so that the viewer is clear. Nod your heads. You both like both stocks, correct? That's true. Yes. Yeah. And, and one of you likes Target a little more. And uh, Michael, you like uh, Walmart a little bit more. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Rupesh Parikh and Michael Baker. Well, the semi-space making huge gains this year. The S-M-H-E-T-F, that's Schmet up more than 30 percent. Uh, but beyond the monetary, it's also seeing strides in equity and inclusion. Asian Americans are underrepresented in corporate C-suites, but see outsized representation and success when it comes to climbing the ranks in the semiconductor industry. We'll discuss that.
uh, when Power Rush returns. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Power Launch, everybody. Let's go to Chicago for a check on the bond market. Rick Santelli is standing by. Hi, Rick. Hi, Tyler. Today, it's all about crunching the numbers, so let's start doing that. Philly Fed for May, down nine consecutive months in a row. Leading economic indicators for April, down 13 months in a row. Treasury yields on pace for its fifth consecutive higher yield close. Let's go to the charts. Twos and tens, one week, you could see the climbing interest rates there. And, of course, it's altering the landscape of Fed fund futures, which is always right on any given moment, but every next moment may change. It's getting ever, ever closer to a quarter point tightening at the next meeting. And if we look at what's going on in two years in general, well, you see that. If you start the chart in early March, you could see 507 is the high yield close. So even though we've come up, it's really still a long way from its peak. And should we get above four and a quarter today on a closing basis, it'll be a two-month high yield close. Tens, tens are already there, two-month high yield close. And if you look at what's going on in tens, yes, rates have come up dramatically, but still a ways from four and a quarter. It's high yield close all the way back in October of last year. And finally, the dollar index. Boy, it has really been fired up lately. We've cleared the 103 handle, and it's going to close again at a fresh two-month high close. Tyler, back to you. Mr. Santelli, thank you very much. Energy futures closing for the day. Oil prices lower today after jumping yesterday on hopes for a debt ceiling deal. But the real action today, natural gas. Prices soaring there as much as 10%. Traders watching some key technical levels including uh, the $3 mark there at $258 uh, right now. West Texas down a little bit. Let's get to Bertha Coombs now for a CNBC News update. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Tyler. Here's what's happening at this hour. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy striking a more optimistic tone about debt ceiling negotiations, saying the House could vote on a deal as soon as next week. California Republican said he thinks things are in a better place today than they were a week ago and that he sees a path to an agreement. Other Republicans, however, have said negotiations are not close to being done. That comes as some conservatives are pushing for a border bill to be added to debt ceiling negotiations. On Thursday morning, members of the Conservative Republican Study Committee sent a letter to congressional leadership and the negotiations for both sides calling for the border to be included in negotiations. It was unclear if this late request will hamper the 11th hour deal making. And Rafael Nadal announcing today that he will miss this year's French Open due to a lingering hip injury. The 37-year-old tennis great also said he expects 2024 to be the last year of his career. Nadal is a 22-time Grand Slam champion, including an unprecedented 14 wins 
at the French Open. I can't imagine it without Rafa anymore. No, huge Nadal fans. I uh, agree, and he's a, he seems to be a ter terrifically nice wonderful. guy, a good guy, charitable, yeah. and all. And he's only 37. We've been he's so blessed when you think about it to watch Nadal and Federer and yeah. Djokovic, three of the greatest players of all time, yeah. each competing head to head, uh, setting records in the Grand Slam events. Thanks, Bertha. Oh. Still ahead on Power Lunch, the rising tech tide lifting all stocks. Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Amazon, Meta, Google, and Tesla account for close to all of the S&P's year-to-date gain. We'll discuss the market imbalance next. Welcome back to Power Lunch. The Nasdaq leading the way higher today again, continuing a trend where the concentration in a handful of tech stocks is really leading the market. And that has some people worried, looking for alternatives even. Bob Bassani joins us now from the New York Stock Exchange. Or do they just pile in and uh, see how long they can ride this one out, Bob? Well, some are, but others are now arguing that big cap tech is so disproportionately big in the S&P 500 that people should consider equal weight. S&P 500. So just look how much these big cap tech stocks. Here's the five biggest stocks in the S&P. Look at these numbers, 110% for NVIDIA, Amazon, Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft. These are the top five stocks. These gains are so big that they literally are moving the whole 500 stocks in the S&P 500, the whole S&P 500 here. So if you look, the average stock in the S&P 500 has gone nowhere this year. There's the RSP. That's that orange line on the bottom. And there's the S&P, the white line on the top here. The S&P 500 itself market cap weighted up eight percent the rsp equal weighted that's the average stock everything is the same weight all 500 it's flat on the year so that's a problem a lot of people say too much risk right now in the s p 500 in the market cap weighted so equal weighted has gotten proponents now who are pushing it here's the main arguments for an equal weight the top 10 stocks in the s p are now 30 percent of the market cap of the s p that's the highest in decades people say there's too much risk here it's too concentrated in tech we could have a big problem if things go down like we had in 2000 and parts of 2022 the thing about equal weight everybody pushes is that it gives more balance to the market small and mid-cap stocks have the same influence as the big cap stocks okay Here's the problem. Most investors are not convinced about uh, equal weighted. Market cap weighted have adherence for a very simple reason, and this is the main reason. It's the purest form of indexing that you could have. Essentially, it's the public voting. The investing public decides who's winning and losing because they decide what's the most valuable stocks. And if Apple is a lot more valuable than international paper and the investing public has voted that way, the S&P is going to reflect that. Tyler, what you got in equal weight is every quarter they rebalance. They sell the winners and they buy the losers. So it values, it's essentially a value mid-cap play that may work in certain times and has worked in certain times in the past, Tyler. But a lot of people are saying, you know, it's a winner-take-all mentality. And that's why the majority of money is still in market cap. Still big, big debate about this right now, more than I've seen in many, many years. And that's where most of the investing money is, and that's where most of the money is, as you've pointed out. Bob Bazzani, thank yeah. you. Social investors look for diversification in, take, in case tech takes a turn, or why fight the tape? Let's ask Mona Mahajan, senior investment strategist at Edward Jones. And she's here actually on a day that's not a Fed day. So it's good to see you. <laughs> we, we let you Great out even on non-Fed days. So Mona, I'm let me go back to what Bob was just talking about. Does the S&P 500, which is market value weighted, does it give you really the best view of the market or is it a skewed view of the market? 
Yeah, you know, it's a great point that Bob brings up. And look, in the near term, we do think that this tech trade could persist. It probably does have some legs. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, of course, when you look at the breakdown by sector, there's only three sectors that are outperforming the broader S&P 500. Those are, of course, comm services, technology, and consumer discretionary. Two of those are back in bull market territory, so up 20% plus. Um, so when you look at the technical picture, in fact, the, those growth tech parts of the market are above their 200-day moving averages for the most part. The sectors are driven by technical momentum, and so there is some support, especially in the near term. The other factor we'd point to, if you look at what investors are doing now, you know, they really do have an alternative to equities. They can sit in these cash-like instruments that are offering 4 to 5% yield. And what would drive them back into the market? Well, they really have to see interesting opportunities. Perhaps it's AI that's motivating them. Perhaps it's you know proven business models, strong cash flows. Um, a lot of those large cap tech names this earnings season announced another set of big buyback programs. So they're returning value to shareholders. So we do think that this trend can persist, especially as the Fed keeps rates elevated um, and, and elevated for an extended period of time. And the final factor I'd mentioned briefly is that, you know, the usually what happens is during after an economy goes through a downturn and as we enter recovery phase, that's when we see broader participation, small caps, cyclical parts of the market, even international and, and longer duration bonds. We haven't gone through that process yet. So there is some room to run, we think, for this trade. But as we look six to 12 months down the road, keep in mind um, the broader participation we do think comes back to some extent. Let's talk about what's been happening in the past few weeks. Uh, the, the major market indexes have been down for four out of the past five or five out of the past six, whatever it is. Uh, and in the past couple of days, th those indexes have turned a little bit, presumably on hopes of a, of, a, of a budget deal. What do you expect the major market indexes to do uh, as we move from spring into summer into the fall? Yeah, you know, look, I think um, if we do go through an economic downturn, and our base case continues to be for a mild recessionary environment that is now a consensus view, um, we don't think markets can completely ignore that. In fact, we probably will get bouts of volatility. We do think more recently, you know, better optimistic views on the debt ceiling, better news overall on the banking crisis has supported markets. But if we start to see an economic downturn, um, markets can't ignore that. But keep in mind what we went through last year and really over the last 16 months, uh, S&P drawdown of 25 percent. We've been in this bear market territory. Um, markets will start to look forward. In fact, market cycles and economic cycles are different. So if the economy is moving downward, uh, markets can move upward in advance of a recovery. And so that's what we think happens. We do think period of volatility is that opportunity to position mm -hmm. for a recovery phase. And that recovery phase, we think, will be broader, led by broader-based leadership as well. Mona Mahajan, Edward Jones, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Tyler. Mm -hmm. Coming up, as part of our celebration of Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage this month, we're looking at the C-suite, where Asian Americans are well represented in tech, particularly semiconductors and software, the heads of Microsoft and Google, for example. But also Raj Subramaniam at FedEx and Loxman Narasimhan at Starbucks are rare examples and other or maybe not so rare examples anymore of other areas of the economy where we see that leadership. And as we head to break, here is Osman Ansari, CNBC's Senior VP of Business Transformation and Corporate Affairs. I want to talk about some career advice I received early in my career that really spoke to me as an Asian American in the workforce. And it centered around two things. The first was finding 
the activities that you are good at. What are your natural strengths, the things that you will build your career and your craft around? And the second was finding the natural complementary activities that create commercial value for those. And when you overlay the two together, you find a sweet spot of things that provide value to an employer that you will get paid for doing and you can build a career around. Welcome back. Asian Americans are underrepresented in corporate C-suites overall, but they've seen some big successes so far in the semiconductor industry. Christina Parts Nevelis joins us with more. Christina. Thanks, Kelly. Well, of the 10 largest U.S. chipmakers found in the SOX ETF, which we often use as a barometer, 40% are led by Asian Americans with familiar names like Lisa Su at AMD, Jensen Wong from NVIDIA, Hawk 10, Broadcom, Sanjay Marotra at Micron. And their tenures tend to be a little bit longer than non-Asian chip leaders, and they happen to see higher stock returns as well, even when we remove NVIDIA, because we know that stock has surged so much since it went public under Wong's tenure. Its market cap is actually now larger than Berkshire Hathaway's at the moment. But Asian American chip leaders saw their average stock returns increase 2,000% over their tenures, substantially higher than other non-Asian American executives, specifically within the chip space. But when we move beyond the chip space, their representation actually diminishes. Less than 5% of Fortune 500 companies are run by Asian American CEOs, as it becomes more difficult for Asian American leaders to actually climb up the ladder. Representation drops 41% from the corporate entry level to the C-suite, all while inequality grows. And they may be overrepresented in tech and software-related jobs. We talk about many of these leaders on our network. But McKinsey found that they also are overrepresented with the lower-paying jobs in America, and that creates a divergence. There is you know, much greater than uh, population share within a number of low-wage occupations as well. Um, some personal care occupations, for instance. And in fact, that the majority of ethnicities in the Asian American population have higher than the average rate of poverty in the United States. So the large variance of wages between these occupations cluster, or the occupation cluster actually means Asian Americans have the highest income inequality among races in the U.S. And that's just because they're concentrated at the top and concentrated at the bottom. Come on over, Christina. So where else um, sort of do we look for? Is there a, a angle here with women leaders yeah, as well? We know this just generally with women, but specifically for Asian American women, they struggle to go from just an entry-level position to the C-suite. So I mentioned that 41% stat for men and how difficult it is. It drops off 41%. For women, Asian women, it actually drops off 70%. And earlier this week, I heard uh, Citibank, the private, uh, the head of private banking, uh, Ida Liu, actually call it the glass ceiling and the bamboo ceiling, which was I, I thought was a creative way to take on so it. when you say 41%, uh, explain that number to me. In other words, they're 41% under rep compared with entry-level people? No, compared to white White males, yeah. white males, they're yeah. 41% yeah. underrepresented. Yeah. Okay. And then, and so, and it's interesting if we're going to expand it out to even women now, and I know we were talking about Asian, um, Asian leaders, but to, with women, I, earlier in April, we, there are finally more female CEOs than CEOs named John on the S&P 500. So coming a long way since 2015, when the New York Times was actually the first to, to publish that comparison, that there are more Johns out there running S&P 500 companies than females. A random but delicious little tidbit. Go <laughs> with that. Christina, thanks. thanks. Good to see you. Thanks. All righty, coming up, Take Two Interactive, the uh, top performer in the S&P, after posting a big beat for its fiscal fourth quarter. We'll trade it in other movers of the day in three-stock lunch after this break.
right, time for today's three-stock lunch. We have some movers on the menu today. First up will be Netflix. The company says their ad-supported tier is beginning to show some signs of life with 5 million monthly active users. Uh, Netflix is, however, still battling an ongoing writer's strike and facing a backlash surrounding its password-sharing crackdown. Here with our trades, Courtney Garcia. Courtney, what's your take on uh, Netflix? Yeah, Netflix, I would actually be a seller on here. I think it's a, probably a time to take some profits off the table. Um, it's doing fantastic today. Last I looked, it was up about 9% off of this. Really great news. They had about 5 million subscribers already to their ad-supported tier, which is great. But realistically, they are going to continue to face increased competition, um, and they're going to have to continue to have those high costs in order to create new content to keep their current subscribers, let alone get new ones. And ultimately, this is a company that's seeing slowing growth. They had revenue growth about 6.5% last year, which is as slow as ever. And it is not trading cheap by any means of 33 times next year's earnings. So you're essentially paying a premium for a slower growing company, which I don't think is a recipe for success. So it's doing fantastic, but maybe time to take some profits. Big surge today. What about Baba? Baba Black Sheep. Uh, you know, they're going to do the cloud spin out. They just think they're not getting any credit. Bye bye, Baba. Yeah, not giving a lot of credit at all, which actually I would, the opposite is happening here where stock is down today. I think it's a wonderful buying opportunity to take advantage of. And really they have continued to suffer where the Chinese economy has not opened as fast as everybody expected it to. And that has really been a headwind for them. But I think that is going to likely turn into a tailwind, especially when you look at later this or early next. And none of that optimism has been priced in. And I would not discount the Chinese economy eventually recovering here. And I think they're going to be a beneficiary of that. This is a company that's trading at essentially dirt cheap valuations, and they have about $55 billion on their balance sheet, which also puts a lot of room for them to invest in AI, which they brought out. Add on top of that, they're spinning off some of their um, businesses, which I think is a great long-term story. So this is definitely something I would look at as an opportunity. Courtney says, bye, bye, Baba. I like it. All right, finally, take two <laughs> interactive. Shares are up big, 52-week highs on earn earnings beat. The video gaming company shared a weaker than expected outlook, however, uh, but signaled a strong future gaming slate. What do you think about this one? Take two. Yeah, this also is doing really good on some excitement over their earnings. So we saw that both PC and gaming sales um, really actually did a lot better than people expected. And their mobile advertising was up about 2% quarter over quarter, which is great news. But I think this is excitement over the recent earnings that just came out. But even though they did beat on their earnings, they are still trading in it, or their earnings really are still deeply negative. And I think essentially you're going to see some of this excitement go away. And Wall Street will eventually focus on their return to profitability, which isn't expected until at least 2025 fiscal year um, at the earliest. And I just don't think that that's really what you want to be jumping into at the moment. So I would actually avoid this for the time being. All right. Very clear. Good case. Courtney, thank you very much. Courtney Garcia, Payne Capital Management. Don't go anywhere. Still ahead, home prices see their largest decline in more than a decade and a huge week for one of our favorite CNBC colleagues. It's nearly closing time when Power Lunch returns. Welcome back. Uh, three minutes left in the show. A bunch more stories you need to know, so let's not waste any time. We'll start with home prices, which just saw their biggest drop in more than 11 years. Uh, granted, it was only a 1.7% year-on-year decline in April, but that was still the biggest since January 2012. Median price for a home now, Tyler, stands at just under $389,000, down from the record of $414,000 back in June 2022. I suppose you'd have to say that this must reflect in some way the bite of higher interest rates because it's like a bond when the rate goes up, the price goes down. For sure. Between that and higher mortgage costs, I mean, the, right. the cost of a home, had, uh, monthly carrying costs has almost doubled in the last few years. It's but, crazy. Boy, they're still selling 
really well where I live. Agreed. I don't know. All right, shares of the Western Wear retailer Boot Barn sinking after mixed fourth quarter results, including a 10% drop in e-commerce sales year over year. The dip in boot shares not helping the Rutgers Investment Club, who mm. picked it in the second round of this year's stock draft. Uh, boots uh, need some resoling. These boots weren't made for walking, at least today. I just want to point out Boot, and uh, we were talking earlier about Bolero, which is also down about 18% today. These were two very popular, very consensus trades, both of which are moving the other way today. Both of which begin with the letter B. That too. And we won't get into bed, bath, and bye-bye <laughs> and all of the rest of it. No time to drive your kids around? Let Uber do it. Starting next week, teens can start requesting Uber rides or ordering food on Uber Eats. Wait a minute. Is this new for Don't teens? they already do this? The service will be available in select metro areas across the U.S. and Canada. Requires a central family account for payment and verification. You previously had to be 18 or older, but they acknowledge a lot of people ignored that or I guess just used the parents anyway. All right, well, there you go. I, I thought they were doing it. I also thought that Uber is now unveiling the option to use a phone number to call and book rides, which really oh, would be kind of a As opposed to using your app. For those back who don't to the have, totally. I, check me on that, but I think so. All right, here's one for you. Corporate drug testing revealing a surge in marijuana use as more and more states legalize uh, the consumption of weed. The number of workers testing positive reaches a 25-year record. Accommodation and food services, as well as the floor crew here. It's no, I'm just kidding. Uh, where the industry had the highest positive growth rates, uh, positive rates for marijuana. Are we use. surprised? I mean, of yeah, course. Yeah, if you're going to legalize it and sell it, yeah. why not? Let's I mean, move on. You're having a good week when the second most exciting thing that you do is scoring an interview with Elon Musk. Yes, we are talking about our own David Faber, just back from that huge interview in Austin. David just threw out the first pitch at City Field this afternoon before the Mets game. Was it a strike? A bounce one. They're going to have the full video on Squawk on the Street tomorrow, but he did tweet a little teaser Say I can't remember exactly. What was the term he said? He said... I did not bring the did heat. Did not bring the heat here today. <laughs> All right. So, David, you are bringing but the we're heat proud of David every Faber. time we turn around. Not everybody gets to throw one out at uh, a Mets game. Thanks for watching Power Fabulous. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.